thank you, God, for writing my story. God, you are such a good God, an amazing God, a wonderful God, to bring us to the household of faith one more time. Now, God, as we prepare to, God, preach your word, Father, fill, God, your servant this morning, and God, may your people be blessed. In the mighty master's name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for coming out this morning. I know 8 o'clock is early. Uh, my body is telling me that it is. So I'm assuming your body is telling you the same thing. But we thank God that we serve a God that got us up this morning and got us going on our way. So we praise him for who he is. Thank the angel of this house for another opportunity to stand behind the sacred desk. My brother from another mother who's always encouraging for me. And my mother who's always there to support me. And all of you, God bless you. When I was a young man, maybe seven or eight years old, my father, who always gave us object lessons, decided to give me one on one particular day. Uh, we had a loose cabinet in our kitchen, and he wanted to show me how to fix it. Told me to get a screwdriver. And he gave me instructions how to maneuver the screw back into uh, the hole to, to secure the, the cabinet. But for some reason, my, 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 my feeble little hands couldn't get the knack of it, and I became a, a little frustrated, a little aggravated, and eventually a little angry because Pastor Speed has a, has a temper. It may, it may be surprising to you, but I do. But God is good. We've come a long way. Nevertheless, uh, my anger, I almost threw the screwdriver down because I was sick and tired of this little project that my, my pop wanted to take me through. But as uh, would have it, he just sat there with a watchful eye, didn't say a word. And I finally calmed down and in his own way, in his own voice, very comforting but unapologetic, he said, son, that which angers you controls you. There's but a few moments of silence before my adolescent mind began to, to gather my thoughts and understand what he was saying. And in my defeated state, he began to instruct me on how to navigate through that little project. Because at that point in time, I was open and ready for instruction. I learned then that it's in the midst of the struggle. It's in the center of your test where one's true nature is revealed. And so whatever it takes, whatever it is that takes you beyond yourself has control and mastery over you. So with this in mind and with the help of the Holy Spirit in your prayers, I'd like to lift up the subject for this morning and more so of a question for you and for me. Who is your master? We find in our text this morning in Genesis, the fourth chapter, story of Cain and Abel, a very familiar story to most of us. These are the offspring of Adam and Eve, and the Bible says that Cain was born first than Abel. It also talks about their professions where Cain was a tiller of the ground. Abel was more so a, a, a shepherd boy. The Bible also goes on to tell us that they at the time, offered their sacrifices to God, where 
Abel's sacrifice was accepted, yet Cain's was not. As a result, the Bible says that Cain not only became angry, he became very angry. The Lord thereafter began the dialogue with Cain concerning his response. And after their discussion, Cain would make the awful decision to kill his brother. Since he couldn't retaliate towards God directly, he took it out on his brother instead. So before we move ahead, though, we, we got to deal with the white elephant in the room, the, 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 the question that all inquiring minds want to know. Why? Why was Cain's sacrifice rejected? Why was Abel's accepted? Some scholars believe in my, my research because this has been a subject of much debate. And with much debate comes varying opinions and observations. Some believe that the passage infers that while Abel brought the best of what he had, Cain was somewhat careless and indifferent with his offering. Other scholars reference the fact that Cain was rejected because he, it was not a, an animal sacrifice or blood sacrifice. Several blood sacrifices in the Old Testament were of this nature. Well, you brought an animal to the altar, you slay the animal and offer it up to God. But then another school of thought says that it was not based on Cain's sacrifice being bloodless because many sacrifices in the Old Testament were bloodless. For example, the offering of grain and fruit or the first fruits prescribed in the law of Moses which you can find in Leviticus chapter 2 or Deuteronomy 26, verses 1 through 11. And still others believe that Abel realized a need for a death of a living substitute to atone for his sins, but Cain kind of missed the boat on that one. The opinions go on and on. But the Bible does give us a little nugget, a tidbit and a morsel that can be found in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4. The Bible says, by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks, even though he is dead. What was so impactful about Abel's faith that God received him? The Bible really doesn't say. We could use our sanctified imagination and come up with all kinds of reasons. But at the end of the day, the Bible doesn't clearly state what that reason is. However, we do know that regardless, based on the text, that God accepted it. And if you read a little bit further in Hebrews 11, verse 6, the Bible says that, it, that faith, without, uh, faith uh, without, without faith, rather, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Faith, dear family, is a byproduct of a righteous heart. So by now you might have already detected the issue from our text. The entire scene centers around the condition of the heart. You see, at the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. Can I get a witness here? So rather than focus on why Cain was rejected, let's focus on the real heart of the matter pun intended. The text doesn't focus on why he was rejected, but it does focus on Cain's response. 
This is simply because that's what the writer or the narrator wants us to focus our attention on. See, the Bible says that when rejection came to Cain, he was not only angry, he was very angry. He was wroth, he was hot, full of rage, the Bible says. And this prompted God to ask a twofold question. Question number one, why are you angry? Question number two, and why has your countenance fallen? As I gave thought to this, I, I had a tabernacle there for a little while because I saw some meat in there. I couldn't really uh, 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 extract it like I wanted to. So I just laid there for a little while. And then tweet from heaven came to me. Anger is an emotion with, as with all human emotions, that is born of the heart. The heart is what God sees first. See, man looks at the outer appearance, the Bible says, but God looks at the heart. But countenance, one's expression or outer appearance, is a manifestation of the heart. See, what's in, on the inside of you will eventually make its way on the outside of you. And that's why the Bible says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Show me how a person is behaving, and I will tell you what's in their heart. See, Moses, who penned this book, may not have given us all the details, but one thing I can say assuredly and with confidence that Cain had a heart problem. So whatever is in the inside will always make its way on the outside because what's in the dark will always come to light. And while it's true that some folks can go for a while with a facade, with a disguise and a smokescreen, the real deal will always make its way to the forefront. The real you will stand up and make its presence known after a while. That's why I can't understand how people can make it without Jesus or without the Holy Spirit in their lives. Sometimes that old man in me tries to rise up and, 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 and get crazy sometimes. That's why I need the Holy Spirit because sometimes I get beside myself. But that's why I need the Spirit of God to arrest my spirit and put me back in my place. So when I'm tempted to curse you, the Spirit tells me to bless you instead. When I'm tempted to talk about you, the Spirit tells me to lift you up and encourage you. And when I'm tempted to kind of talk to, to you about you behind your back, I talk good about you, not only behind your back, but to your face. So that's why I need the Holy Spirit to arrest me and put me back in my place. Because sometimes what's on the inside will try to make its way on the outside. So I believe that Cain, even though he had some issues, had access to the same information that Abel had. He had the same ability, the same potential, the same Ability to exercise faith and expression toward God. And that's why the other reason I believe that God posed the question is because Cain really had no reason to be angry. He had the same opportunity as his brother. So if you got the same opportunity, why you been all out of shape? And why are you angry? While verse 5 gives us a glimpse into the nature of man, verse 6 and 7 gives us even greater insight into the nature of God. As wrong as Cain was, it was God who made 
the first move. He took the initial step. The first thing we see is that God confronts Cain. Anybody have a confrontation lately with the Lord? Have you been doing things you ought not do? Have you been doing things that got you all turned around and twisted, things that you know aren't right? And God had to confront you? The motive behind God's approach to Cain was greater than an interrogation, but a gracious inquiry regarding his attitude. Just as he questioned Adam and Eve in the garden, you remember, when they ate of the fruit, God asked the question, where are you? He asked the Cain a similar question, gave him the same opportunity. And what we see here is not uh, an interrogation, but what we see here is grace. There's grace here. For God always provides a chance to get it right. Had Cain come clean, there would have been no avenue to commit this horrendous crime in the killing of his brother. The second thing we see about God's, about God's personality here is that God provides Cain with divine instruction. The fact that God asked Cain about what was right in, in order to be accepted infers that Cain knew what was right in the first place. If I give you directions and your first step is to turn right, but you initially turn left and I ask you, where are you going? I'm making an inference that you're going the wrong way. The fact that God asked Cain about what was right in order for him to be accepted infers that Cain was right in the first place. Somewhere in the course of time, he learned the same standard that was displayed and practiced by his brother. Cain knew what was going on. Cain knew what God expected of him. But for some reason, Cain decided to do otherwise. So God simply was reminding him of what he already knew. Don't you and I have to be reminded sometimes? Some of us have been sojourning for a very long time on this side of life. We have been Christians for a very long time. Some, some of us can quote scripture from Genesis to Revelation, book, chapter, and verse. But every now and again, we need to be reminded of what we already know. Am I right about it? It's not uncommon for preachers and teachers who've been in it for a long time to have a fall from grace because they forget what God has told them to do. So in the same way, Cain knew what was right, but God was trying to remind him of what he had to do. He knew what was right from wrong when he approached God with his sacrifice. But yet God extended his grace and giving Cain another, gave Cain another chance to do what was right and to get it right. Third, God formed, informed Cain of the consequence. See, I'm glad that I have a God who doesn't surprise you and sneak up on you. But God is a God of full disclosure. He will tell you exactly what's going on. He will tell you that you're going on the wrong road. But he will also tell you what's going to go down if you continue on your path. So I'm glad I serve a God who, who doesn't surprise me and tells me what the consequence of sin is. Because then I can make a choice 
of doing right from wrong. From the beginning of time, he, he warned Adam and Eve that you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. And throughout the Bible, God consistently warned of the consequence of sin. He did it for Israel through Moses. He did it through the prophets, and he, he's doing it for us through his holy word. So it's no different for Cain to get it right. But he said, get it right. But if you don't, there'll be a consequence. So as he did with Cain, so he does with us. He confronts us. The Lord instructs us, and he cautions us because he loves us. And it's for our own good. The intent is not to make you bitter, but it's to make you better. Not that you would be mortified, but that he would be glorified. And so before I take my seat, give you a few little points here that, uh, that I think that we can learn uh, from Cain in terms of, 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 of not being in the place where he ended up. Is that all right? And perhaps we can avoid these pitfalls that he made. And if you can identify with any of these, it's not too late to make that adjustment and to do what is right. First, I believe that, that Cain had a poor view of God. There seemed to have been a disconnect for Cain. See, that the same God with which he had a dialogue was the same God who informed his daddy who formed his daddy from the dust of the ground, I believe on the sixth day. So after he saw that, uh, what he had made, he said it was very good. This is the same God who created his daddy from the dust on the sixth day. In all the days preceding that day, God created the earth. This is the same God who created his daddy from the dust and breathed life into his body. And after he saw what he made, he said it was very good. So we have to be careful that we never lose our fascination about our God, that we never stop marveling concerning the wonders of God. So you must ask yourself, what is my fundamental belief in God? And that if you believe in God, and if you do, do you realize that he's involved in every affair of man. He doesn't just sit idly by and watching things go on. No, our God is involved in everything in this life. And when you know that he is, you also know that God is an omniscient God, an omnipresent God, and an omnipotent God. He has perfect knowledge. He's everywhere at the same time. And he's all powerful. If you didn't know that, then you can understand what the psalmist says, that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything in, of, and around it, including the heavens and above and, and whatever's below, everything is under the auspice of our God. It all belongs to him and us included. God in his being is uh, complete within himself. In other words, God, uh, who, when he wants to be impressed, he thinks of himself. He looks at himself. He includes himself all by himself because he's complete in himself. 
So it doesn't need our sacrifice or our praise because it needs any of us. Uh, he has dominion and sovereign, and whatever he wants to happen will happen, and whatever he doesn't want to happen won't. He's the God who proclaims that I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's a God who proclaims that I am the Lord and I do not change, for I am God all by myself. So to think of him as common is not thinking of him at all. Cain's view of God wasn't a healthy view at all, but, but perhaps he felt that God was not important in his life. That disregarding him was all right. But sadly enough, that's the same view that people have of Jesus, that he's insignificant and doesn't really matter. Oh, but when I need him or when I need something, oh, that's when I want to tap him on the shoulder or pull him off the shelf and include him then. But in the meantime, I'll live like I want to and act like I want to and do what I want to. And well, I understand that you believe in God. The real question is, which God do you believe in? Is he the God who, who's good for a hookup? Or is he the God whom you have adoration and will yield to his will and his way? Is it the God that's sufficient for your religion? Or is he the God with whom you have a relationship? Pastor Stevens, are we fans or are we followers? But Cain, I believe, had a warped view of our God. Secondly, I believe that his view of worship was also a little bit tainted. See, how we view God determines how we act towards him. When God rejected Cain's offering, you would have thought his first reaction would have been, Lord, what have I done? Why did you reject my offering and how can I make it right? But his response revealed his view of God and his view of God reflected how he worshipped. But his, his response revealed his view uh, was a little bit warped. And see, Sunday after Sunday, some of us, we as the body of Christ all over the globe, have an opportunity to worship and to thank God for what he's done in us and through us. We have our own unique way of worship from those who raise up holy hands to those who sit quietly in their seat thanking God for what he's done for them. But if we're not careful, my brothers and my sisters, our view of God can waver because we only worship on Sunday, having neglected to worship him Monday through Saturday. Can I hear a witness here? And if I can push it a little bit further, maybe you haven't felt the same way about God in a long time. You just uh, acquaintances and you speak to him in passing or when he crosses your mind every now and again. And of course, when you need something, that's when you tap him on the shoulder. So your worship has now become a perfunctory task or an antiquated formality or kind of a humdrum way of living. In other words, you're just going through the motions. You're just on autopilot. But maybe you're, you just keep up appearances by coming and bringing whatever you have to offer. But the truth of the matter is, my brothers and my sisters, that your offering, that's your time, your talent, and your treasure is worthless and empty and has been rejected by the Lord because it's not from your heart. True worship is not determined by how high you can jump or how loud you can shout or how fast you can clap your hands. No, true worship is defined by sincerity of heart and uh, not what you can get, 
but what you can give with the right motive. Worship is not just a moment in time, but perpetual. And as long as the blood flows through my veins, I should worship him. And that I believe that's why the psalmist said, I will bless the Lord at all times. And his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord, and the humble shall hear thereof and be glad. This is where he wants everybody to join in. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Now he begins to testify. I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and he saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord campeth around them that fear him and delivereth them. And now he begins to witness. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusted him. Fear the Lord, ye saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times. And his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Worship is perpetual. It ain't just on Sunday morning. It's Monday through Saturday. It's every time you get up. It's every time you lie down. It's every time you are able to walk. It's every time you put food in your mouth. It's every time you get behind your wheel of your car. It gets you from point A to point B. It's perpetual. We praise God not for what he can do, but for who he is. He's worthy to be praised. We shouldn't punish God by punishing ourselves and other people when we don't get our way. We should thank him and worship him for who he is and for giving us a chance to get it right. We worship him because he's worthy. The last thing I believe that Cain had twisted was his view of another. His view of God was, was warped. His view of worship was, was strange, but his view of another was also a little challenge. In this case, it was his brother, his brother Abel. We have to be real, real careful when we compare ourselves with other people. For starters, it takes the attention off ourselves, and it sparks jealousy and envy. And provokes thinking like, why is God blessing everybody but me? When we start counting the blessings of other folks, we miss an opportunity to count the blessings that we have on our own. So some of us think that we can separate our relationship with our brothers and sisters from God. But the truth of the matter is, how we worship has a direct correlation with how we treat and view one another. Oh, somebody didn't hear me this morning. There's a direct correlation in how we treat each other and our worship to God. If I'm not good horizontally, then I'm vertically challenged. True worship. True worship reveals that I don't have to be jealous or in competition because if I understand that God owns it all, through my worship, the same God that blesses my brother is the same God that can bless me too. 
Now, he might not bless us in the same way, but that's his prerogative. He blesses us uniquely and differently, but that's God's prerogative. Can I push it? The fact that your worship can be hindered if you don't have it right with your brother. Because the Bible says in Matthew 5, 21 through 26, if you have an alt with your brother, no need for you to go to the altar and offer your gifts because God ain't going to recognize it. What he tells you to do is leave it there. Go get it right with your brother. And once you do, then go back to the altar and offer what you have to give him. So if you have an issue and you want the Lord to receive you at the altar, leave it there and get it right. Some of you might be wondering why you, your blessings are, are kind of being held up right now. Uh, you may want to take a look at your relationships because if it ain't right horizontally, it ain't going to be right vertically. We can't claim to love God whom we have seen and not love our brother who we have not seen. So in the case of Cain, he took his eyes off of who should have been the object of his worship and exchanged it for wrath. So in the way of Cain, if you realize that our view of God, our view of worship, and our view of another is right, then more than likely we will not find ourselves in the way of Cain. See, Cain had a warped view of God, worship, and his brother because he neglected to do what God had commanded him to do. There was one more piece of divine instruction that he missed before he went off the deep end. It was futile to be angry with God because his arms were too short to box with God. And it was pointless to be angry with his brother because he didn't do anything but submit to obedience. What Cain failed to do was to take personal responsibility the real issue for us is the same refusing to take responsibility of your own actions and your own behavior if you look at the text in verse 7 one more time God tells Cain that sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you but you must master it you it's all about personal responsibility and so I leave you with this thought and this question. Is sin your master? Or are you mastering over your sin? The good news, the good news, my brothers and sisters, is that you don't have to go it alone. You see, over 2,000 years ago, Satan made a feeble attempt to be master over the master by give, trying to give him power. And he didn't need it because the master already had it. So Satan fell, but then when Satan fell, sin stepped in up to the plate and tried to be master over the master. It tried to overwhelm him, but the blood just washed sin away. The last attempt came from death himself, who was trying to be master. And he tried to chain and shackle the master. They thought they had him because all night Friday night, nothing was going on. And all night Saturday night, death seemed to have won. But early one Sunday morning, the master told death it didn't work. And that's why I can claim today that the master is my master. He, is he your master today? Is he your master today? Y'all know who I'm talking about, don't you? Y'all know his name, don't you? Y'all know his name, don't you? What's his name? What's his name? What's his name? Oh, yeah. 